Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Happy New Year, Feisties. I want to start the new year with a topic that could literally and rather unexpectedly transform every aspect of your health, from your energy levels to your workouts to overall belly comfort. Frankly, I can't believe we've never done an episode on gut health. So I asked one of my fave feisty dietitians, Dina Griffin, if she would come on the show and help us unpack this important topic. I asked Dina all about what we mean by gut health, the signs and symptoms of poor gut health, it's not totally what you think, the unique gut health challenges we have as women, the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic, how to manage gut challenges during exercise, when and how to include more or less fiber, best practices to improve gut health, and what I've always wanted to know, does store-bought kombucha actually help? Dina is a sports dietitian and athlete herself, and she understands the many challenges that athletes encounter. Her fascination with the human body and the interplays of nutrition led her to pursuing a master's of science degree in food science and human nutrition from Colorado State University and delving into sports nutrition. Since then, Dina has worked as a registered dietitian and board-certified specialist in sports dietetics in clinical, outpatient, and private practice settings. Dina finally found her true calling online as the nutrition mechanic. You will definitely learn a thing or two from Dina on this episode. I sincerely hope you enjoy it. Dina, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sarah. I am good this morning. It is it is a little bit early, but as we were talking at, we're both early birds, so ready and raring to go. Yes, absolutely. I you're kind of a regular here in Feisty Land. Like we lean on you a lot for information about nutrition. Um, and I'm excited to talk to you today about gut health. Uh, mostly because, you know, I'm someone who I'm as I'm building Feisty, I'm pretty focused elsewhere, you know, in terms of like business building and that's kind of my world. And I do love like this type of information, but as I'm scrolling, I'm like, oh, I realize, oh, gut health is one of these things I don't know much about. And it seems to touch on everything, you know, like it affects our brain. It obviously affects our guts, our digestion, how we feel, our energy. And so I'm kind of aware of that but I'm not aware of exactly exactly like what we can do about it and how we can improve it. So I'm kind of assuming that if I'm in that boat, other people are also in that boat. For sure. And I, I think even just thinking of that phrase, gut health, it's changed so much in terms of what we even think of. I mean, back, you know, a few decades ago, I feel like we, when we said the words gut health, it either meant like, do you have colon cancer or some other bowel disease. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we just thought about bowel movements and that was the extent of gut health. And now we know with so much more research coming out, the areas of our bodies and our organ systems and health systems that the gut affects. So it's so expansive. Um, and yeah, I think the 
curiosities and questions from people are, you know, ongoing and numerous. So it's legit to have these, you know, these, this long list of questions. I'm not the only confused human. (laughs) I mean, no. And even myself, there's so much to learn. It's, you know, a dedicated field for so many. So gosh, it, it could be, you know, a marathon type podcast in terms of duration, but I know we're gonna touch on some basics and see see where we head here in highlighting some of the important elements. Yeah, I'm totally excited. So what is it that we mean now by gut health? What's what's within that scope? Great. Yeah, I think appreciating that we now know the gut and all of the organisms which, you know, trillions of bacteria, all kinds of microorganisms that there's this interplay between them. There can be, you know, a a healthy dialogue between the microorganisms, meaning they work together to support in a positive way, our health systems, such as metabolic health or uh, weight regulation or brain, or, you know, the list goes on and on, even skin. Um, Also that there can be pathogenic types of bacteria that then relate to immunity or illnesses, uh, invasions of the kinds of bacteria and viruses that we don't really want. And so I think now it's just encompassing much more than just do we have a disease of the GI tract or not, and how our bowel movements are not. It's like, wow, the effects of the status of our gut microbiome and how it's so dynamic. It is not, you know, a a static system whatsoever. And can you just unpack the word microbiome so we all know exactly what we're talking about? Yeah, that's good. Uh, So we have several microbiomes, but when we put the word gut and microbiome together, we're talking about that ecosystem within the GI tract, which technically runs from mouth to to anus, that whole tube. Um, but we have other microbiomes like skin microbiome. We have the microbiome in our nasal cavity, uh, other orifices, you know, so uh, microbiome is kind of just thinking of all of the microorganisms within that GI tract. And that is, again, very nuanced in terms of the kinds of bacteria and microorganisms we might see in the upper GI tract versus the lower GI tract. Uh, and so also along with that is just the like uh, diversity, the kinds of strains of the microorganisms, um, you know, genus, species, strains, and then uh, the variability between those. Right. Wow. You're painting a real picture here. So so there's a bunch of tiny organisms that live in our gut. Do you know how, how many different kinds of organisms there are roughly? I don't know that anyone knows that for sure, but I mean, in, in, if we think of numbers like in entirety, I think we're talking trillions, but I don't know like specific uh, strains that is still to be determined. I mean, I feel like you could open a scientific journal in the gastroenterology blah, blah journal and find like, oh, wow, they just discovered this new strain of a species, but there definitely are hundreds there's a whole world living in there, basically. It's kind of crazy to think yeah. we're a host of all of these bizarro, tiny or microorganisms. Yeah, it's it's kind of alienish to think about. It is, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, what are some of the signs and symptoms? Like, if I'm thinking, okay, how do I know if I have good gut health? You know, what would what would be the what would be the signs that I do have good gut health, and what would I look for? How would I know if I didn't? I think one of the common things we think about like of in terms of that question is what are your complaints or what are you noticing that might be a negative. So in terms of this aspect, it might be things like bloating, uh, abdominal distension, like that swelling. It's kind of similar to bloating. Um, it could be our bowel regularity, like, wow, I have, I'm constipated, or maybe the flip side, diarrhea. 
It might be seeing things like blood in the stool, which would not be a good thing either. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of looking at these signs and symptoms. Even things like nausea can be a sign that there's something off with our gut. So those are a little bit more obvious things that we might feel more uh, readily subjectively. And then there are less uh noticeable things that we would say is tied to gut health. So now we're appreciating the role in the gut brain access. So this is where things like mood and depression are now being studied and the tie to the gut microbiome. Um, Some people then also have rashes on their skin and it might not just be, you know, like what lotion did you use or what food did you eat? Specifically, it's like Actually, it's directly related to the gut microbiome and what's going on there that's affecting skin uh, or even headaches, things of that nature. And then immunity is another one, Sarah, like our immune system. Are we getting sick often? That could be a sign that something's off with our gut uh, diversity or the counts of the certain bacteria and then one that's you know big in my world too would be looking at blood work and seeing um, nutrients, micronutrients that are out of range. So we might not be absorbing iron. We might be low in uh, B vitamins, calcium, magnesium, some of those other minerals and vitamins. Mm-hmm. So there is a long laundry list. Yeah. And it sounds like you know, some of those, some of the symptoms that you, that you talked about first would be more obvious, you know, like if there's something with your, with your bowel movements, or if you're getting pain in your actual gut, but then things like mood and rashes um, would be something that there could be multiple causes for. So when you're working with someone, how do you kind of unpack that? Or how do you figure out, like, is this a gut health issue? It's so challenging. Mm. I mean, I think, starting with the things that you notice, you know, so getting that series of questions, uh, do you know, like even talking poop for, you know, a few minutes, it's part of our work as dietitians is really understanding like how regular are you? What, you know, do you, some people don't even look at stools, which I can understand. It's not, you know, a habit that (laughs) we build in necessarily. Like how's it looking today there? But, um, just that more noticeable can be a really good starting point. But other than that, it is like, I mean, if you're working with a registered dietitian, likely you have some sort of complaint or problem that you're trying to solve or treat. Mm -hmm. And so if you are noticing uh, mood swings, maybe you're noticing appetite changes, maybe you do have frequent constipation, it's things like that. So it is a lot of detective work to kind of piece apart. What are you noticing? And then go from there. Is this a food, um, direct food issue? Is this an environmental trigger? Mm -hmm. I mean, it it can take a few months to really work through all of the bits and pieces of what is at the root of the problem. And then sometimes we're looking at diagnostic testing to help really uh, drive the path of treatment more succinctly. Um, And that can involve, you know, collaborative work with a GI doctor Mm -hmm. or other specialist, depending on what's going on. Totally. It's interesting because when you're talking about, like if I went to the doctor with a rash or with depression, you know, they wouldn't necessarily be the first place that, you know, I might be treated with an antidepressant drug before, you know, they would look at gut health. So I can imagine that it's a long winding path for a lot of people to unpack if they're having an issue. And Sarah, good point. The other thing that can be eye-opening is that our gut what we experience now maybe as adults can be highly influenced from how we were birthed or raised, you know, things that happened in childhood. And so some of that, I know. So some of that's like even asking, were you, was your mom, did your mom deliver you vaginally or was it a C-section right there can be signs like, oh gosh. Or uh, were you on antibiotics a lot as a child? Because, geez, chronic use of antibiotics can then 
pose issues later on in adulthood. So, or even things like traveling, are you a world traveler? Did you have Mm. a foodborne illness in whatever country of the world? And maybe it was a problem then now it could be. So geez, the long winding path you mentioned is, is a good phrase to put around this. Yeah. And sorry, just to like the C-section versus vaginal birth piece, just because it's not immediately obvious to me. Like, what is the connection there between that and your gut health as an adult? Yeah. Well, when when we're born vaginally, the the uh, microbiome from the mother is it's kind of like a pass through or an inoculation to the baby. And so, when we're born that way, we benefit from the mother's gut microbiome. So a lot of that's transferred or passed on, so to speak. Whereas C-section, we don't have quite the same, uh, you know, gift Mm -hmm. (laughs) from, from all of that aspect. So there can be a difference just right from, you know, first moments of life. And then that kind of sets a stage for what may happen in terms of, um, illness onset as, toddlers or, you know, growing up in youth development, if we're more prone to illness, which again, it's kind of associative or correlative in terms of illnesses as children um, related to vaginal versus C-section. So, and then that just carries forward through adulthood. We might be prone to more uh, illnesses, sicknesses, if at birth and in childhood, the microbiome wasn't as robust from the start. Right. So interesting. Okay. I'm already way, we're already way off the questions we prepared, but (laughs) I have have another follow-up question. Um, If we're, you know, because if we're talking about this long winding road and if you have various symptoms, it's hard to know exactly what's causing it. And if it is coming from your gut, um, I'm wondering about the preventative approach. So if I was coming to you and I was saying, listen, like, I don't really know if I have a big problem, but I want to do my best to make sure that my gut is in good health? Like, what would I do? Okay. Well, if you've got a few hours, yeah. (laughs) I mean, mean, we can say simply it's looking at nutrition, like what we eat highly influences what's going to go on in the gut microbiome and that status of the gut. So, I mean, we can say simply and then we can dive into details depending on where we want to go here. But yeah, looking at our dietary patterns in terms of quality of the foods, sources of foods. Is it a, um, you know, whole food kind of high fiber fermentable kind of food or is it not? (laughs) Um, And so really it's looking at quality of, again, the dietary patterns that we follow and therein we can have several rabbit holes Uh, But that definitely sets a very foundational uh, aspect here of our gut health. Um, There are many other aspects in terms of lifestyle parameters that that can influence, you know, and then as athletes too, that throws a whole other kink in, in terms of the harshness or the impacts of, of the stress of exercise upon the gut needing to heal or stay intact, like the lining of the gut can get uh, damaged. So I'll stop there in case you want to pick where we go from from that. I realize I just opened a can of worms. Um, (laughs) Did did I, the other question I'm thinking right off the top of my head here is like, do you think that everyone, because we're often sold this, right? That everyone should be taking probiotics or everyone should be taking prebiotics, which I'm not even clear what that is. So do you think that, like, what are those products and should we all be taking them? I think starting with the food we eat is a great first start versus supplementing via capsules or liquids or any of the other is really getting a handle on what are your your dietary intake patterns because we can enhance quality uh right there versus relying or kind of band-aiding with some of the supplements. So I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, you know, me professionally, I wouldn't recommend just like everyone should take probiotics because we need to know what is it we're trying to treat or what is it we're trying to prevent. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do so much with food, but again, it needs to be assessed on an individual basis in terms of health history, medical history, even medications you take, again, complaints and so on. Um, but I would just want to touch back on the prebiotic mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Mm. And so that we can think of as as food or substrates that feed the organisms in the gut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so a lot of our foods can be that, uh, serve that purpose. Mm -hmm. So for example, asparagus is one of the common prebiotic foods that you'll see and hear about. And essentially that just means when we metabolize that food and it gets broken down and and so forth, and the, the matter gets passed on through the digestive tract, some of the microorganisms will feed on what's left and the certain compounds. And so it's like their nutrition. And then in turn, we benefit from the fermentation of that by the microorganisms. Interesting. Is that what they're there for in the the first place? The microorganisms? The microorganisms. Are they there? Like, how do they benefit us? What are they there for? Yeah. I mean, a lot of their work is to ferment or eat the food that we eat. And then uh, compounds are produced. Um, You may have heard of butyrate or um, small chain fatty acids. Those are compounds that are released or metabolites that are released from the like healthy microorganisms. And those serve in other pathways in when you look at metabolic health or the gut to brain connections, those compounds confer other health benefits. I mean, and that can run, geez, I know we're going all over the place, but <laughs> that it's so massive. Like, oh, inf- inflammation is better controlled because these compounds are being released from the the microorganisms in in the colon, um, and the list of health benefits from all of those compounds is massive. Let alone just protecting our bowels and like moving matter through the colon. So, uh, a number of ways that these sets of microorganisms can serve us from a health perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the immediate reaction to, you know, thinking of all these microorganisms we have inside is kind of like, ew, but it's like actually a little army for us, you know? It is. Yeah, yeah. that's a great way to think about it. They're they're are on our team. They're on our team. <laughs> I know. Well, and I've, you know, we used to say like good and bad bacteria, but I think we're trying to move away from that kind of language, mm. understandably, because we just really don't. I mean, unless you have a virus or some pathogenic kind of um, invasion there or, or infection that may cause other problems, like, you know, there it's okay to have some bacteria that we might consider harmful, but it depends on their function, their counts, mm-hmm. you know, and, and how the ratio of all the more bacteria that are considered healthful, like what are the ratios of all these bacteria? And that's stuff that we are still learning through the scientific research. Interesting. And what about as women, you know, are there ways, like why is gut health important to us specifically? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, even just thinking of inflammation, Mm -hmm. because I mean, we've got menstrual cycle, we've got pregnancy for some of us, we've got menopause, you know, all these stage life cycle stages. And so the gut microbiome is going to drive the, the life experience of some of these stages of life, meaning if we have I'll just use the cliche phrase, Sarah, and you you can help me if there's a better one you think of, but like a healthy gut microbiome uh, will help us control inflammation in the Mm. body. Mm -hmm. That can help. I think of perimenopause uh, that can help lower our symptoms or the, the severity of our symptoms of perimenopause. Um, the vasomotor symptoms like hot flushes, night sweats, mood swings, 
Um, and so that's unique to women and women's physiology in the life cycle stage. Uh, there's also things like in the menstrual cycle where we have in our higher hormone phase, you know, working with sex hormones and, and that change in the higher hormone phase, there tends to, again, be this correlation between uh, lower inflammation, less uh, impactful experience of PMS, for example. Mm, wow. and, it, it, and it may not all be direct and only like the gut microbiome is your only thing to look at, but it definitely is part of this picture. Right. And so, yeah, those, those are a couple things that we can think of as women. The other thing I wanted to mention is that women tend to experience uh, IBS uh, irritable bowel syndrome more than men. And we don't quite understand why, uh, if that again is difference in hormones or other aspects, but trying our best through food and lifestyle and environment to maintain or establish a healthy gut can then lower our uh, risk for IBS or the degree to which we might feel some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, um, I think it's fairly common, right, before, some, for someone like right before during their period to have some gut issues. So really, um, if we're paying attention to our, to our gut health, we could mitigate some of that. Is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And some of it, gosh, you know, it would be nice to have an exact protocol. <laughs> but the the thing that may be obvious to most people is, and if not, this is a good appreciation for our guts and our gut microbiome is it's so individual. Mm. I mean, they we don't even know what exactly a healthy gut microbiome looks like. We're still trying to figure that out, or I should say the scientists are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, different cultures of the world, when they look at the gut microbiome, it's vastly different across the world. And then within, within oh, like areas, community to community yeah. across the world, like there's different trends of what, oh, so interesting. Yeah. I know. And so that's again, tied to the environmental, uh, environmental conditions, the food that's consumed, uh, lifestyle, you know, are we in a big city? Or are we out in the desert or, you know, some other kind of more rural area? So there's so much to each individual's gut microbiome that we don't know exactly like here, you should eat this specific food and therefore this happens. Uh, we just don't have exact yeah. uh, protocols or flow charts like that quite yet. And are there some areas that are considered to have, you know, where the population is considered to have healthier guts just in general, or do we not know that either? I don't know that that's been determined okay. yet. Yeah. There's so much work to do. So much. It's a mm -hmm. booming field. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% 
and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male-biased industry. Hedda's have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, a narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedda's.com and it will all be in the show notes. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. And what about exercise? Like what's the, if you're someone who exercises quite a bit, like the folks in our audience, like how does that affect our guts? Yeah. I mean, thinking of the kind of exercise we do, duration, volume, intensity for a lot of the, you know, us endurance athletes doing long course triathlon or ultra marathon, things like this, that it can pose some issues with regard to the intestinal lining I mean, there's there's the food or the fueling that we've got um, coming in to support the exercise. And for some of us who may have sensitive mm-hmm. GI systems, you know, that can aggravate uh, the gut or the gut lining or the tolerance 
to which we, you know, depending on what we're consuming and how much we've got that kind of issue, but then also the conditions that we might be training and racing in. Mm -hmm. So if you think of Kona, you know, or hot, humid environments, um, a lot of heat stress on the body, but that can, you know, on a micro level that can affect the permeability of the intestinal lining. So we can get some leakage or some uh, allowance for like some of the, the, uh, between the gut lining and the blood, there can be this, what's called translocation. So there can be this pass through of, um, microorganisms into the blood and that can cause like kind of cliche phrase, toxic environment in the gut, mm -hmm. but that's then where we can feel nausea or these other complaints, um, during exercise or racing. So we it, it is a stressor on the gut. Again, you know, even things like hydration can play a role in how well the gut's going to stay protected mm -hmm. or less inflamed. Um, so it's not to say like, oh, we should all stop, stop training and exercising to help the gut. I think we just need to be mindful of our own signs and symptoms and see if we can manipulate some of the strategies to better support the gut. Yeah. And what would some of those strategies be? Like, where would you start with someone? What would you suggest that they try to improve their gut during exercise? Yeah. And some of it may be, yeah. Are, are you having lower GI symptoms like diarrhea, constipation, uh, cramping, you know, or is it more an upper GI, nausea, right. kind of burpees, uh, or are you having lots of gas? So yeah, kind of that flow chart, we can kind of think about, is this a fueling issue? Meaning the kind of calorie we're consuming during our training and racing perhaps just isn't working as well or as efficiently for digestion and absorption. Um, so that can kind of get into the sports nutrition realm. Like what is the source of carbohydrate? How much, what's the osmolality of what you're drinking? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, are we, are we dumping a whole bunch of calories in, we just need to spread it out a little bit more or change that fueling source. Um, and then hydration is the other biggie. I think it's neglected mm -hmm. sometimes is just maybe not drinking enough, right. Uh, or the right kind of fluid. And so some of those things I would add, Sarah, one thing is, uh, the use of, the NSAIDs or the ibuprofen type, mm. that can be a problem as well for GI behavior. So we want to really avoid um, that class of, uh, you know, anti-inflammatories because it can make, it can make our gut on fire, so to speak. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and what about like other lifestyle stressors that you've met, you mentioned lifestyle earlier. I think you've said stress a couple times and sleep. So are there things we can do there to sort of improve our gut health? Yeah. I mean, you just said a magic word there, sleep. So that that's a huge one is, is honoring a sleep routine and really paying attention to quality, quantity of sleep in line with circadian rhythms that, that, uh, highly affects gut microbiome behavior. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, we're still trying to figure out exact mechanisms, but we know that there's a role there um, and it can then affect like weight regulation and appetite. So there's all these downstream consequences that like poor mm -hmm. sleep affects gut, affects all these other systems. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, definitely environment. So thinking of, and, and some of this, you know, not everyone can control uh, pollution. What are the uh, materials? Like, are we drinking out of plastic bottles? Uh, are we lighting candles all the time? This is stuff, I'll be honest, back when I first started nutrition, I thought some of that was a little woo-woo. Like, mm -hmm. what in the world would a candle have to do with my body? You know, it just smells good and there can't be a problem. Mm -hmm. But now we know there's compounds in what we breathe, what we drink, what mm -hmm. the the bottles we drink from that depending on exposure, it certainly can penetrate our gut microbiome and the intestinal walls. And then 
have some negative consequences. So that's that's really looking at what's in your surroundings um, environmentally and trying to do the best you can with, you know, keeping it uh, clean or pollutant-free, toxin-free, so to speak. In terms of the, you've heard and probably said like the rest and digest Oh yeah, kind of mantra. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. so that that speaks to this stress level. Like if we're really amped up, or our sympathetic nervous system is heightened, and we're trying to you know nourish ourselves, eating a meal, snacks, whatever, um, that state of the nervous system can affect our digestion, absorption of the nutrients. So that's why it's often recommended, like sit down, mm-hmm. slowly eat, not be distracted, like put this calm, you know, 10, 20 minutes in place to mm-hmm. enjoy your meal. And that actually will serve you well more on that digestion absorption of nutrients better. So right. that that can tie to that stress component. Yeah. And I'm actually so glad you brought that up because I think it goes beyond mealtime as well. Like if I think of myself, for example, during an Ironman race, I would feel different moments where I'd be able to read the fact that my body could digest. So for example, like if I there's, there's a big climb on the bike, I'm climbing, I'm having trouble taking in as many calories. I might be taking more liquid calories or something. And then as soon as I hit the descent you know, my stomach starts to feel hungry that I knew, okay, I'm going, I'm like, not only do I have signs of feeling a little bit of hunger sometimes if I'm not working as hard, but I also am able to take in those calories and digest those calories. Right. And that would apply also before the race or after the race. There's a lot of situations where you can tell, okay, I've calmed my system now. Oh, and I'm hungry. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. And blood flow to the gut during exercises Mm -hmm. is definitely going to impact our ability to take in calories or even want those calories. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So... Head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in Feisty Media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule. How much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com 
and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose. So we we had a we had to break for a moment there because my doorbell rang and actually it was funny because what was there was my HelloFresh box. Oh, <laughs> how fun! <laughs> yeah, which is like a nice segue to like what. So I started ordering HelloFresh because I. Um, because I wasn't cooking enough at home, I was finding I was ordering too many foods um, and still making healthy choices, but I wanted to be more sort of connected to the cooking process. Um, So I wondered now if you were, if you could give us some practical tips, just like for general health, um, like what types of foods should we be eating? Yes, love, love this question. So we can think about all kinds of plant foods. So we've got you know, your veggies, your fruits, your whole grains, nuts and seeds. I'm going to throw beans and lentils in. Those are key to include. Mm -hmm. Um, So really it's looking at what are the plant derived or plant kinds of foods in your everyday pattern. That dream and ideal, Sarah, would be to get a wide variety, especially across a week. So it's not like every day you have to do, you know, 60 different plant foods, but if we can vary week to week or across a week, the kinds of plant foods um, and really get a variety and ideally then layering in like higher fiber foods, Mm -hmm. that's going to be, you know, a game changer for the gut. Uh, A lot of the work I've done with um, athletes and other individuals is just looking like, what are the sources of fiber and how much do you have? And it's surprising. A lot of people think they have a lot of fiber and actually it's like half of what Mm -hmm. we need to get. Um, So that would be one thing. And then looking at that prebiotic, can we get some of those other kinds of foods that feed the gut? Mm. Uh, probiotics, which would be foods that have live cultures. You know, you can think of your yogurt, kefir, Mm. uh, fermented foods would be another, uh, kombucha, um, miso, uh, kimchi, you know, it's kind of the zing zang kinds of foods. Not everyone has a palate for, but I think we can, if we can sneak in a little bit of that on a daily basis is, is great. Um, one other thing I think of that is underappreciated is the role of herbs and spices. Uh, oh, these, interesting. I know things like oregano, even parsley, which I think people under like, well, come on, parsley, um, rosemary, uh, cilantro, those kinds of things. They have properties that can um, be beneficial for our gut microbiome and gut health. So like anytime you can add fresh or dried herbs to your Mm -hmm. HelloFresh or whatever you're making, that's going to help definitely in this, in this term, in the realm of practical, uh, Mm -hmm. just easy ways to kind of help out the gut. Yeah, I have. I wrote, I was. Could you see me writing frantically all my follow up questions? Yes. <laughs> um, I, my first one was about fiber, and you know, I'm someone who definitely I'm aware that I should probably have more like beans and pulses and those types of things in my diet. And when I try to add them, I I end up with problems. Like I end up with bloating and gas, basically. <laughs> so like, yeah. how do how would someone? And pull more of those things into their diets without having discomfort. I think even if someone is eating, trying to eat more vegetables, you could have that same response, right? It's true. I mean, you know how we talk about like tracking menstrual cycle or tracking your symptoms of perimenopause. It's kind mm-hmm. of like also then carrying that over to tracking. All right, 
I I just brought in two cups of broccoli and now I feel like I'm going to explode in my gut. So kind of doing this mapping for yourself Mm -hmm. to figure out your own individual response to some of these foods that can be helpful in determining like, oh, you know what? If I only have one cup of broccoli, I'm not as bloated. Um, But that can be a tip also is when you're trying to add in more fiber foods or increase is just take it slow, spread it out across a day. Um, Maybe not do, you know, like not much fiber at breakfast and then a huge salad that's like the size of, you know, Texas at lunch. It's like, let's trickle this in and kind of spread it out and then see in terms of like your body getting used to these kinds of foods. It is kind of like a training Mm -hmm. um, for the gut. Um, But if you're noticing chronic, like, man, every time I eat, even the little bit of beans, I always have this problem. That could mean maybe we need some, you know, digestive enzyme support or there's some other thing going on that we need to address address as a root problem. Mm, Interesting. Maybe I do. (laughs) Maybe I have a problem. (laughs) Well, like the beans and pulses, yeah, that definitely can be an issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just not being able to break those things down. And we can look at cooking methods and other mm-hmm. ways to try and complement that or make it a little more easy for the gut to to handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you mentioned also like feeding the prebiotic. Is that what it's or feeding those microbiotic? Like how do you, what are the foods? How do you feed them? Oh yeah, the prebiotic foods, which again yeah. is is foods that have compounds in them that feed our microbes. Yeah, microbes. Um, so though it's kind of um, foods high in sol- soluble fiber. So oats okay. would be one. You know, beans are another one, or lentils. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have heard of like choose greener bananas instead of the real ripe and spotted yellow bananas. Mm -hmm. So the greener bananas have, um, I guess the characteristic of the greener, less ripe banana then has more of that prebiotic food. Mm -hmm. Um, It's similar to with like cooked and cooled rice. Mm -hmm. When you cook and cool your rice, let it sit and even refrigerate it for a few hours the compounds change, like the characteristics of the fibers change in, yeah, in yeah. that grain. And so that can be more helpful to feed the gut microbiome. Right. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then I also, you talked about um, foods that have cultures in them already, like yogurt. Um, and I wanted to ask you about kombucha in particular, because it's kind of come over the last decade or so just like become wildly popular and there's Mm -hmm. you know when you go to the shop you can buy all of these drinks um are those drinks good like or are they just because some of them I taste them and I think this is a lot different than where kombucha originally started or were the ones that you you know a homemade kombucha so like is it are the ones from the store good oh I know I think there can be a few good ones from the store one one thing you can do is look at the label and see, and again, this is kind of a correlation, but like if, if there is quite a bit of sugar per serving, like let's say it's an eight ounce or 12 ounce and you're looking at a few cans or bottles, the one generally with a little less lower sugar content, it should be more potent when you drink it, like almost I don't, what is that description, Sarah? Like it's not sour or bitter, but it's. It almost tastes a little moldy to be honest. Okay. Yeah. That might be it. <laughs> the original, like from 10 years ago, like the first time I tried it and thought who would ever drink this, I know. you know, it's and it's just... kind of an acquired taste because you do, I did get used to it and I do like it now, you know? Yeah. It, it shouldn't be sweet like a soda. Mm-hmm. So it, that again is kind of a general rule. The more moldy tasting, probably the more (laughs) bacteria, yeast, you know, that uh, benefit in terms of a fermented drink, it's going to serve us more 
Amazing. And then um, just to dig in a little more on the fiber piece, um, because, you know, we're often, especially as endurance athletes or even now as a CrossFitter, if I'm heading into a competition and I want to reduce like the stress on my gut to not have issues during competition, we're often told to like reduce fiber, even though we know that fiber is good in the general sense in our diet. Like, is that something that you recommend? You know, I will say, it can be a bit individual here. The problem, like if we pull out a bunch of fiber in advance of a competition, I just find that some people then get constipated and now they're actually more uncomfortable or, you know, they're just having like the opposite issues. <laughs> but I would say generally speaking, especially if it is in a stressful environment, like hot, humid, or your intensity is going to be pretty darn high that we can pay attention in the day before, maybe two days before, and just swap out some of those like broccoli and cauliflower beans and, and swap them out for a little less on the fiber load, a little less work for the digestive tract. Um, and then we allow for a little more carbohydrate, especially, you know, in those hours before a uh, intense competition like a CrossFit game or other competition like that. And similarly for the endurance is kind of backtracking, like when's the start time? What's your individual sensitivity? Um, and kind of like, oh, let's go a day out or two days out and and really like swap some of those very high fiber foods for lower yeah. ones. And I, you know, I had an experience early in my career where I was working with a dietitian where we were, we reduced fiber for, I think, seven days. Like we oh, tapered yeah. right out. And it did have an effect of making, like, I was surprised at even how my stomach looked. Like I could tell there was less just stuff in my gut, yeah. but I had heat, which, which is okay. If you can be a couple of kilos lighter, you're it's good for the marathon. But the blood sugar issues that I had. Because I was then eating so many, like I was eating more white bread and stuff like that, that just was causing all kinds of problems. So then there was like this balance between, okay, that wasn't worth it to yeah. be a couple pounds later. <laughs> so like there was a happy medium, you know, where it would be, it became things like just reducing the amount of fiber I was eating rather than completely taking it out and also like, or maybe just cooking the vegetables a little bit more or something like Definitely. that. Definitely. Well, and you're bringing up a good point here, considering our context. So are we talking every day, you know, mm -hmm. just general nutrition and the fiber there, or is it around preparing for competition mm -hmm. or big training days or two a days or things like that? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the other important aspect that you're noting is the role of blood sugar control. Mm -hmm. when we have good amounts of fiber in our meals. I mean, it's just excellent for stabilizing energy, providing that satiety. But that's that's definitely stuff that we have to put in the context of our own selves. Uh, yeah, are we getting ready to for a big race or competition? And is that going to serve us? Do we need that right now in that mm -hmm. acute time frame? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Dina, is there anything else that um, our audience should know about gut health or that we haven't covered? Oh, gosh. Well, I think... <laughs> You're like everything. I know. <laughs> There's so okay. much. Yeah, exactly. No, I think, I think it's just something to become aware of as a starting point if you've never really thought about your gut or, you know, we just we eat and we do our thing. And a lot of us don't notice things until it goes awry. <laughs> and so I think, um, I think paying attention and just giving an eyeball to, Hey, what, what kind of veggies, fruits, what, what do I have from a fiber intake perspective that, because we know that can be huge for maintaining and supporting our gut health is just, take a peek and notice for your own self. I mean, you you can go so far as tracking your food intake for a few days to see what's going on more quantitatively, but it's not necessary. I mean, you can, you know, count how many fruits, veg, servings of whole grains you get in a day and just see where you're at. And maybe there's room for a little bit more or again, a little more variety. So I think that is is something we all can do and it's helpful, helpful for that gut. 
Yeah. Simple things often make a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Okay. So how do we follow you? And if people are looking to follow up and maybe get some help with their gut health or, you know, other nutrition type things, how do we find you? Oh, thanks, Sarah. Yeah. uh, I'm on Instagram, Nutrition Mechanic. Um, Also, that's my website, nutritionmechanic.com. So you can find me there and uh, email and all that stuff is, is linked up. Great. Well, thank you so much, Nina. It's been so fun. I learned something and I hope everyone else did too. Thank you so much, Sarah.